Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Push in the button. You want to clean edit? Push in the button. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. It's freezing. Why are we walking? We just look at our keys. Oh, that's what Huge IQ, great performance in the Marines, but you gave up. Drugs, petty crime. You never had a job. Who are you? Your father saved my life. Dean says you're fair guy, boys.
I've had a rather emotional day, so whatever your beef with Eggsy is, and I'm sure it's well-founded, I'd appreciate it if you could just leave us in peace. You should get out of the way, Granddaddy, you'll get out. Manners maketh man. Do you know what that means? Then let me teach you a lesson. Are we going to stand around here all day, or are we going to fight? Welcome, everybody, to the Next Real Film Board, a gathering of thugs to discuss one current release film each and every month. This month, we've gathered to take on Kingsman, The Secret Service, Matthew Vaughn's cinematic take on his diabolically original comic property with Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons. But before we get to that, make sure you head over to thenextreel.com, check out our back catalog of Next Real Film Chats, both from our weekly show that Andy and I do on the classics and all 30 of our film board very special episodes. You can join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at The Next Reel. And, of course, don't miss a single show by subscribing for free in iTunes or your podcast application of choice. Joining the roundtable of thugs this evening, playing the role of the bifurcated <laughs> Lancelot in this evening's performance, Steve Sarmento. Good evening, everybody, everybody. And clear-eyed, full-hearted Galahad himself, Tommy Handsome. Hello, friends. And always in the corner of the round table, our fearless Arthur... Andy Nelson. Manners maketh man. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm Pete Wright. And tonight I'm playing the role of the tailor. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I deeply enjoyed this movie. Uh, that said, it was uh, not what I was expecting in, in, in the whole. I was worried that I was in for another kind of get smart or the like, but this was foul-mouthed and in parts <laughs> astoundingly and brilliantly violent. And still, I walked out with this giant smile on my face this it is a feeling i can only compare with my experience walking out of guardians of the galaxy that's right Whoa. wow guardians of the galaxy i dropped galaxy uh so around the table gentlemen am i alone in my fun with this film andy no i i completely loved it i had a great time uh, all the way through it, i agree with you it, i was not really sure what to expect from it it looked like a it was going to be kind of a, an, uh, you know, just a, a, a kind of a younger take on a James Bond sort of thing, and it it went in a lot of different directions the the excessive violence and language, and uh, but also just kind of the 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 fun of not taking itself too seriously while also taking itself seriously, and I uh, enjoyed it completely. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Okay, we're so far two for four, uh, Steve. Well, I have to say, I'm on board with you guys. I, I really enjoyed this film and how it played with the conventions of the genre while remaining loyal to those. So it's giving you something that's fresh while not so far removed that it's uh, disappointing because it's not giving you what you're expecting out of that type of film. It, it gives you what you want, but in a different way. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I think there's some some interesting dynamics in this film and, and some, some larger things to discuss about uh, the the sort of Arthurian legend uh, aspect of the film that I did not expect going in. So I'm looking forward to discussing that with you gents tonight. Oh, I like that. You're getting all literary. <laughs> Check you out, Tommy. Well, three out of four ain't bad. Oh, no! No! I'm just kidding. I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was phenomenal. Like, I really, really loved it. 
And the, the theater that I saw it in, there were about three applause breaks, including the one at the end of like when sequences that were so stunning and so over the top and so insane would end that people would just burst into applause. And that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, especially, especially in Los Angeles. I was going to say, is, is that just how movies are in Los Angeles? Because we don't applaud in Portland. Did nobody applaud? I mean, a, gen- some- a gentleman does not applaud at a movie. <laughs> <laughs> applause make us the man. It was. Uh, I mean, I think usually LA is known for being jaded, uh, but it really worked, and the people were just having so much fun and screaming and yelling. And I kept waiting for the movie to. Not jump the shark, but to just cross some sort of a line where it's like, okay, it's just too many toys. He's just has too much freedom, and it just almost never did for me. I thought it was phenomenal. I loved it. Are you sure you're not talking about Jupiter Ascending? I might be talking about Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Which one has the has Channing Tatum as a wolf man <laughs> or a fox person? Ugh. Yeah, America, you're welcome. I took the hit for you. I saw Jupiter Ascending. Learn from me. Uh, Okay, where would you like to start on this? I'm, I am very, I, I'm, I think I'm most interested in this idea of how this film handles conventions that and and expectations around the genre. Uh, Who, who said that? Was that Andy or Steve? I think that was that was Steve. Steve, start us off with that. What is your? uh, What do you? What do you mean by that? Sure. Well, I mean, you you get your typical, um, you know hero on an adventure, the, the call to adventure. And for those of you that are aware of, of some of the more current trends in, in filmmaking and, and screenplay writing and storytelling, there is a moment early on where our hero is in the car chase and avoids hitting a cat. It is his quote-unquote <laughs> saving the cat moment, so, which I thought was a nice nod to those that might be in the know with that terminology. But it's giving us that, that moment where we realize our hero, who may be a bit of a troublemaker, a bit of a scallywag, has, has, a, has a heart in the right place. So something like, okay, here's that moment. I can see those, those pieces. But what it did differently was it then layered on top of that. No, not only is he saving the cat, then he's now crashed the car. The police are, are there. He tells his mates that are with him to get out of the car and then rams into the police car, basically taking the hit himself. He's now sacrificing himself to let his friends get away. You know, they're not going to get arrested. I thought, oh, we've got sort of a double-layered, you know, do-gooder here. He's, he's not only going to not plow over the cat, he's also based on making that choice, knowing that now they're going to get caught saying, hey, I, this is on me. And I thought, that's interesting of giving us the expected and then adding a little bit to it. Uh, we get the training sequences, but they were a little bit different twists on that. Uh, and we can get into discussions about, uh, you know, the whole Arthurian piece and, and Merlin and and that later on. But it, it gave us all those things. And the movie, at other points, even called attention to itself uh, of having your villain say at one point, you know, this is, you know, this is a moment in this type of movie where I'm going to give you my whole big, big plan. And I'm going to come up with some big convoluted way to try to kill you. And you're going to come up with an even more convoluted way to, to get out of this. Uh, but this isn't that movie. This was the, and, the and repeated long- conversation between, uh, and, and I'm not sure if this is too much on the nose, but between Hart and Valentine. Valentine, yes. <laughs> so it, oh, it's, you know, we're expecting that monologuing moment, and it, but they, they don't give us that. But 
to me, I wasn't uh, disappointed with that. I was like, oh, okay, you're you're aware of that, that that can be something that disappoints audiences. Or can and, be literally, an and literally know, like, have knowledge of spies in movies. It right. references James Bourne, James Bond, and Jack Bauer. I had no so idea even... there were so many JBs in this. <laughs> I know, that was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, so to to be sort of world-wise like that, but it didn't come off as navel-gazing, and it didn't come off as sort of a screamish kind of spoof of the genre. Exactly. That's, and that's like, much like more what I like expected. Evolution of it. Yeah, that's much more what I expected going in. I expected this to be much more sort of spoofy, and I, I probably shouldn't have, uh, given Colin, For- uh, Colin Firth's uh, casting in this film. I mean, I just think he is, um, he, he is likely above the the spoof well uh, i think part of that came from the marketing because i mean samuel l jackson as the villain in this is very it's a very over the top type of character and when you see him in the trailer it just it it kind of comes across as oh this is just going to be kind of a send up of of the james bond type of spy movies because you've got this over the top villain that could easily fit into a Will Ferrell spy movie. Like an you know? Austin Powers. Right. Too. Yes, exactly. And so that's, I think, uh, the, the danger of having a character like that and, and using it in the marketing because it's really, gonna, it's really hard to tell what the movie was going to be like. I mean, it, clearly we had problems understanding what we were getting into when we went to sit down and watch this. Did you did you guys find the uh, the over the topness of Samuel Jackson's Valentine I mean, the, with the lisp and the the serving McDonald's at the at the dinner? I mean, did you find that that was too much in terms of his uh, portrayal? I guess I'm speaking specifically of the lisp. I, the lisp, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're talking about. Um, I, I I didn't. It didn't bother me. I mean, I. It, it definitely was different, and I enjoyed that it was a villain that I hadn't seen before. He had a lisp. He served, you know, McDonald's at his uh, fancy dinner. He, uh, um, what was the other thing? Oh, and he abhorred violence, and he would like you know, projectile vomit with yeah. violence. And it's just, it's not something that I'd ever seen in a villain. Normally, villains are so mean, and they're the ones who are just, you know, the, the Kaiser Soze's running around slicing people up. It was really refreshing to kind of see him as this, this real wuss who just couldn't handle any of that. I wonder how much of that, because legend has it that he showed up the first day on set with the lisp. Oh, really? If you guys have read this and said to Matthew Vaughn, no, I love the idea of someone who has all the power and all the strength and all the evil, but kind of being, whatchamacallit, uh, really vulnerable and not sounding that sort of way. And Matthew Vaughn went, uh, okay, we'll try. <laughs> and then the studio, subsequently, the studio started to insist that he ADR all of his lines and Matthew Vaughn, in true Matthew Vaughn style, uh, refused. So Interesting. I was... I wonder if he got some of that idea from uh, Unbreakable, from playing Mr. Glass. Yeah. Which is a good example of that kind of paradigm. Was any of that interesting? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. I actually, I, I, I didn't, I thought about it in terms of here he is playing another sort of supervillain, but again, somebody that's not, not the typical. Right, know, that, su- has, that is robbed of super strength, that can't. Candle violence, all those kind of... This is just another sort of take on that, which is interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, right. I think once again, it's that exercise of contrasts that makes the character, I think, more interesting. And I, I guess the only reason I keep picking at it a little bit is because, you know, I, I have to imagine that so much, and, and now hearing how you describe that he just shows up on day one with the lisp, that, that much of what he was hired to do was to, you know, bring the Sam Jackson snakes on a plane, uh, Nick Fury, like we want, we want the, the badass. Uh, and, and I think he, I, I think those choices make him more vulnerable certainly and make him a more interesting villain but then call into question is samuel l jackson the guy to pull off the lisp in this in this film or does it end up walking that spoof line a little bit too closely that's the part i can't i can't like quite let comes go of stunt casting yeah a little bit like taking someone who's so known for his strong voice but you know, I mean, I you you brought up Mr. Glass, which I think is a really excellent um, uh, comparison. But that film was very, very different. Right. It for me, it didn't get uh, annoying. It didn't take away from it. I would have liked the further contrast. It worked as stunt casting for me in a way that was interesting because I'm kind of tired of seeing Samuel L. Jackson play Samuel L. Jackson. Right. But I also, just as a side note, wouldn't would have liked someone who didn't have vulnerabilities of, say, speech, also, like, who was more of a traditional villain of brawn and all that kind of stuff that still gets sick whenever violence is there. That could be more fun. The fact that he had a lisp um, softened that. It made that all of the same kind of joke instead of a real contrast. It, instead, it was just a contrast against uh, Mr. Jackson against Mr. Jackson. That's that's a really interesting point. That's like what what you want more is the effect of, you know, what if the Incredible Hulk was actually, you know, prone to nausea uh, sure. whenever he saw had blood. A, had a weed you know, it, Yeah. <laughs> he starts sneezing <laughs> right. in fields. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, when you think about the, you know, again, the exercise of contrast between, you know, this wonderful kind of tailor-made um, a spy independent spy agency uh, next to the uh, sort of billionaire boys club of of Valentine Valentine and his um, his technocrats. I I found that uh, really a delightful uh, exercise of contrast. I really enjoyed watching Colin Firth in this role of the action hero, and uh, and and Mark Strong uh, as Merlin. I really enjoyed uh, this unique take on this agency. It was a great idea for an agency that uh, worked really well. And yeah, Colin Firth, just watching him in this, it just it made me wish that there was an era maybe you know, 20 years ago where he had had an opportunity to play James Bond because I thought he was so good as this polished British super spy. He was so much fun to watch in the role. And all of them were, really. He was incredibly natural in the role. I would not have expected his... Never, I never would have uh, believed that it could be possible until the bar scene. Oh, no, I guess yeah. Yeah, action a little bit earlier on. But, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Right, right. And it worked great. And he looks good in a suit. This whole movie is filled with <laughs> amazing <laughs> costumes, whatever you call that, wardrobes. I Tell, love I, seriously, uh, did you not want to walk out and immediately go to a fine tailor? I mean, I've oh, said, totally. I think uh, since I saw the movie, 24 hours ago, I've used the word bespoke 1,500 right. times. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It has such a consistent and convincing set uh, sense of style from all of, and so consistent again from uh, all of Colin Firth's suits to when Eggsy ends up in suits to all of Samuel L. Jackson's characters um, 
range of just ball cap sneakers and what hoodies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That it was just it was just so it was just so much fun. It kind of reminded me of like Tarantino a bit. Yeah, a bit, particularly when I saw when when uh, Jackson comes out of the Kingsman Tailor Shop uh, and goes for his top hat. Right. Yeah, that was that great. was a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, this is you know we we always talk about world building, Pete, and this was a, a really good example of this new spy organization story that we've been introduced to that created this world that worked really well on all levels. I had so much fun watching this spy organization, the way that they were tied into this tailor shop. Everything about it just worked really well and made made great sense. It um, reminded me of another movie. Actually, it didn't remind me. My friend, shout out to Darnell Smith, who I saw it with, one of the two friends I saw it with, said it reminded him a lot of Wanted. Mm. You remember the movie Wanted? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Matthew, Matthew Vaughn again, and again, based yep. on a graphic novel. Oh, that, was, that was Wanted one... was directed by Matthew Vaughn? No, it was, uh, it was Timur, was it? what's his name? Timur Bekmambekov. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. But, but it has but... a lot in common with world building, right. secret agencies, yes. and, and exactly. fabric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I found interesting is because I and I'm going to bring up this whole Arthurian piece is knowing that it was based on, you know, some type of graphic novel, I thought, "Oh, okay, that that makes sense that you'd have something with layers like that, you know, that you'd have time to maybe in a graphic novel that you expand on a little bit more." But as I researched it, none of that is present in that original source material. It's it's I mean, there's some interesting things in that the graphic are very, in the graphic novel, it does not have those Arthurian pieces. It's much more rooted in current contemporary pop culture. For right. example, this is an interesting piece of, of, of stunt casting. In the graphic novel, the, uh, the, the scientist that's kidnapped at the beginning is uh, a scientist named Mark Hamill. And so in the film, of course, we have a scientist portrayed by the actor Mark Hamill. Hamill. Oh, weird. So, so they did some clever things with that. But then I thought, okay, so in your source material, you don't have all this Arthurian stuff. So, what is that bringing to the? What does it bring to the world building? And it, and it, to me, it imbued it with so much more depth and history to it that it's this this organization that has its roots going back how far? You know, we get we, and then we get the origin story to it, but that they've sort of latched onto these code names, hearkening back to sort of, you know, the, the roots of their, their country and, and Arthur and all these legends. And as we, my brother and I saw it with, we were discussing it. We said, okay, so we've got, you know, Merlin, we've got Arthur, Galahad, Lancelot, and then we're like, Eggsy, Eggsy. And you got Roxy. We're like, well, how do these guys fit in there? Maybe they don't. And he said, oh, no, no. Look at this. Eggsy is, if you listen to the sounds, the G sound can sound like an X, right? right. So you yeah. get Excalibur yeah. and Roxy. You've got the rock that Excalibur, you know, you've got to pull the sword out of the stone. And I thought, okay, are we getting too far? Whoa. Perhaps, perhaps not. But I thought it's fun just playing with the names. Where do these things go? And Merlin being sort of your technological uh guy there so we thought okay are there more aspects to the arthurian legend you know we've got we see you know arthur sitting down there with the other kingsmen projected holographically almost his his round his round table table. although it's rectangular uh so you know these guys sort of being the knights on these quests to protect the realm and i thought there's so much more to this that it's just resonating sort of on that mythic level in so many ways as as eggsy goes on his journey to become that that kingsman and the quests that he he has and i thought this is where you can do something simple but if you do it really well it just 
adds something to that world building component that, that sets it apart from just, oh, this could have been another Jason Bourne type movie. Uh, it could have been another something, but it really set it apart as something unique and helped define itself. And that's so interesting that it wasn't in the graphic novel, that if it was more, what you said, pop culture reference, that's the kind yeah. of thing that tips the movie into more spoof and I lose interest. The fact of, yeah. that when you really ground it in something that seems reverential and historical and real, then it's thrilling to have all of these pop culture references and people to know who Jack Bauer is, you know, on screen. That's really, right. that's really, that's a really smart change then. Yeah. I uh, I did uh, uh, order the the graphic novel, but I haven't started reading it yet, and I'm I am less interested now. Uh, as a result, <laughs> I read a couple of reviews of it, and it, the reviews were not terribly good on their graphic novel. It's surprising that some of the people uh, that they were saying that it's it's like very crude compared to the film that he made. Yeah, I I love the uh, I I love the sense of it though. The fact that that this is you know his property this almost yeah. feels like a, a a more i don't know final draft of the idea right mm. yeah and that's why I, th- I i the reason i went to sort of look at the source material was it's the kingsman you know kingsman the secret service and i thought is this are they trying to launch a franchise with this because how much source material is there you know, when I see like, you know, Eggsy and, you know, sort of the local mobsters hang out at a pub called the, the Black Prince. I'm like, you know, again, you're tying in all yeah. this. Like, is this this really extended allegory in these graphic novels? And when I saw that it wasn't, I thought, oh, OK, I'm, I'm sort of glad that maybe this is just the standalone because we do have a nice, complete story. Yes, it could be an origin story, but then there's that challenge of where does it go from here? And I'm very satisfied with just following Eggsy on his journey as we see, you know, sort of the, the Kingsmen have to go through this, you know, it's the transformation of handing it on to the next generation, which is even referenced early on as we learn about uh, Galahad's choice early on of how he selected his earlier candidate, Eggsy's father, and how that he was sort of going outside the scope of the types of candidates they usually pick. And he, he tells, you know, Arthur, well, you know, the times are changing. We've got to, we've got to keep up. We've got to, we've got to be flexible. And I thought... We see that now with Eggsy coming on and, and some of the changes that he brings to it, that it can cause something that perhaps has become stagnant to, to be reborn again into something new, which was, to me, a very thrilling journey to see, see happen. I think the dichotomy that they set up, uh, even in that first trial, where the, all the recruits are in the room and it starts flooding with water, we see Eggsy sort of go into survival mode. He wants to get out. Everybody else that, you know, your typical, oh, here's, here's the brilliant, you know, elite, know how to, to breathe. And I thought, you know, I, as I see them snaking pipes down into the toilets and they're breathing, I thought, okay, that's great. You can breathe. So you're just willing to maintain. But Eggsy is actively, how do I get out of here? I'm going to try this door. I'm going to smash this mirror. I'm not content with just, okay, I'll endure this until conditions change. He's going to actively seek to change the environment. To He's going to assert control, whereas the others took a much more passive role of, well, I'm just going to be able to breathe. And that's, then I'll just wait and see if I pass the test. And it seemed like that was always how Eggsy was pushing things was sort of that, that street roughness that he brought to everything right. in a different perspective that uh, gave, gave some of those twists to things that were, were fun and enjoyable. And uh, probably he one of the... too academic about it. He wasn't... Right. And I think the, the loudest 
the the most boisterous our audience got was when you've got Colin Firth asking him, "Have you seen Trading Spaces? Have you have you seen Nikita? Have you have you seen Pretty Woman? Have you seen you know?" And he's like, "Eggsy's like, no, no." He's like, "Oh, it's this you know this this story about you know are you willing to transform yourself you know through this process?" And he says, "Oh, like like." My Fair Lady? Yeah. It's <laughs> so fantastic. So great. But then, of course, to bring it back at the end uh, to looking good, Eggsy, feeling right. good, Merlin. Right. They did reference uh-huh. it. Exactly. Oh, brilliant. Can I ask something as a side note just for the film board? Oh, okay. Uh, and listeners, please, let's open the phones. Feel free to... <laughs> uh, do you guys, whenever there's a hold-your-breath moment in movies, do you ever try to hold your breath along with characters? I do. I do. Do you? I yes. always do. I wonder if maybe that's something that everyone does and no one has ever talked about. Can, can I stay underwater that long or is the uh, editing yeah. causing problems? Yeah, I do. I'm and I'm, def- I'm always so that- proud. It's like, what is the margin of, uh, you know, the margin of victory when right. I can sit there and hold my breath as long as it, as they're holding their breath. But I know I couldn't swim or punch through a glass, uh, you know, right, a right. mirror. Um, oh, that's a good point. Because then there's like aliens after you. Yeah, you, right. Right. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> there are limits. Well, yeah. Tom, okay. do, Tom, I just warn you: do not try that experiment with the Luke Besson movie, The Big Blue. Just I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Actually, I gotta go. I gotta go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, back to this film. Let's uh, a little bit yeah. more Matthew Vaughn. Just a little bit more Matthew Vaughn. So obviously sure. it's based on his thing. He doesn't have a whole uh, slew of credits to his name, but uh, of his, uh, he actually does have a slew of producer credits. But his writing right. and directing credits, uh, just a few. But of them, there isn't a movie in there that I don't really, really like much. From Layer Cake to Stardust to Kick Ass to X Men First Class to this one. Uh, what's he did your do sense? Kick-Ass too? Okay, good. He didn't. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, he, no, he, did, did he produced. He was a producer on it, but he didn't direct it. Sure. Right. Uh, what is your sense of his performance as director? Very big. <laughs> not a, yeah, not afraid to uh, <laughs> to take chances. Wait, I want to try my sentence again. Edit that out. <laughs> Very big. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Edit that out. Clean edit point and go. I thought it was quite remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's really not afraid of putting himself out there that the director is a big part of this movie, obviously that it's so stylistic and all that kind of stuff. Is that what you were kind of saying, Andy? That's exactly what I, what I saw from this is, I mean, this is like, I mean, we've said is this is a, this could have gone off the rails in uh, any second. Yeah. And, and, and he managed to keep it all in while still maintaining his presence whether it's just kind of the the craziness of the uh just of the of the uh the villain and his plan and all of these i mean world war z type of scenes with people mauling each other yeah. to uh to just like some of the the crazy language and then you have just these like odd moments with like the princess when she's talking to when she's talking to our hero as he's trying to rescue her and, and you know just strange little things that pop up like that uh, to the you know the climactic well it's not the climactic but the moment toward the climax when when they actually uh, push the button and uh, and trigger all these devices in people's necks <laughs> I mean it's it's so insane I mean it's it's insane but somehow it all works so well and it's it's I think a a a strongly directed film where the director's presence is very, very felt, but done in a way where he just is able to keep his arms around it and maintain it the whole time. While doing huge action scenes in different kind of ways, 
Like the yeah. opening, the opening pub one is very at times campy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the yeah. uh, the Freebird brawl in the church is super gritty and crazy. I mean, it's it's kind of a tour de force. Oh, <laughs> it, that that, that yeah. whole scene. I mean, just a testament to the, the editors on that because there are so many components of that where it, it feels like a single long take. And I'm looking, right. and there's there's whip pans and this net, but you 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 there's so much chaotic you know, violence surrounding you, you know where you are. And it seems like these long takes, and I know they're not that, I mean, there's so much that's being spliced together, but if there's a certain, there's a flow to that, oh, that yeah. is just thrilling and just overwhelming. I mean, in a, in a good way, it's just this, this just brutality across, you know, the screen that just is relentless, but thrilling. And to make that to the, to something where I didn't feel, overwhelmed or that it became just or tedious tedious yes you don't have the okay i've just it's just here's kill another that everything there was always a twist there was always a spin to how how is he going to make it through this what arsenal does he have on hand what creative ways can we use and keeping that fresh was just i thought that is the sequence that i'm looking forward to seeing over and over again it's just one of those great thrilling action sequences agreed and also how to and another thing potentially to talk about pete i don't mean to but like is talk about the ultra violence in this movie that's what that's where i was going to yeah. go with this because it's it is okay. so so the violence is is real i mean it's action comic action violence until the scene in the church uh, when it becomes um, women, men, old men, something, old women, yeah, something different. No one is safe. No one is safe. I mean, I think Andy was right. There was there is a mauling in there, but there's also the classic grenade in the pocket, head in the pew. Uh, there's the <laughs> flaming oh, flaming head. Uh, there is the. I mean, it, it, it goes places that. Uh, oh, and I think there was a head on a pike yep. uh, <laughs> in there, uh, maybe more than once. Um, it it takes it and it escalates the violence so quickly. What does that? Uh, uh, what is he? Uh, what's he going for uh, structurally there? Well, at least he smartly sets it up for us right at the beginning, where you get a person sliced in half. So at least you know there's going to be intense violence throughout this film. I mean, you you see people's limbs getting severed all over the place. Um, you know that it's going to happen. That was, the, I, I think, the the first place where it was taking a much more serious look at the violence, albeit setting us up in a location where it was, you know, maybe we were saying a little bit, it's okay, you know, that those people ended up being the ones who died. Um, not that that's really what they're trying to say there, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was set us. I think it absolutely was. I think it absolutely was. Not only was it, was that the statement, but the statement that it comes at the hands of technology in such a, a divisive, uh, church environment. Uh, not just yeah. any church environment, but a particular church environment uh, at the hands of this technological innovation uh, and then displaying such violence. I think it absolutely was part of the statement. He would have called it Westboro if he could. Yeah, I think you're I mean, right. He has Obama sort of. Yeah. In the movie. So I think he absolutely would have. I'm sorry, Andy, yeah. go on. No, I'm no, sorry, no. Andy, I didn't mean to derail you. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, I was trying to, you know, delicately go over that but you're right i mean they probably but, were but it's also mass much. it's also mass murder it's an incredibly uh brutal mass murder scene where our uh well he's you know one of our heroes ends up essentially killing pretty much everybody inside this church and it's pretty horrific um and it's done in a way where 
it, it, it obviously fulfills a plot element of the story um, as he's kind of taken over. And we see the, the effects of this awful thing uh, that our villain can actually do. And uh, it, you know, it was really interesting. I was thinking about that. And it's just like, this is the, the type of thing that James Bond villains often try to set up. But I've never actually seen one done in a way where so many people end up dying in a James Bond film. And, uh, it, th- and that's the interesting difference that this film was kind of... Uh, it, it took that turn where, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I guess I just wasn't expecting that level of um, serious yeah. violence in yeah. a film like this. Yeah, I think to your point, Andy, I mean, you, you, you made the point that he set us, set us up with the violence by the split, you know, the split... Um, Lancelot in the beginning, and uh, I would I would say the the kind of violence we experience throughout the film compared to the violence in the church is it's very different. Uh, the severed arms and things at the hands of the the gazelle um, at the legs of the gazelle uh, was much that more sort of comic. Yeah, that was her name. Was <laughs> much more sort of comic violence. But once we got into the church, it took on a, a much more sort of human tone, uh, and and I think it you know that's the that's the part that that makes a, a much bigger statement on i think on me uh certainly well and when i okay. said he he set us up with the violence I, I mean i don't mean that he set us up for like the serious violence but I, I he at least set the stage for this is going to be a bloody film yeah and and, I agree and we, it was just it was the it was the tonal shift going from the 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 comic book graphic violence of people getting split perfectly down the middle to the church massacre where people are just killing each other all willy-nilly and it ended up being a, a much more brutal take on it yeah I agree. well yeah there's, there's the difference between you know you know tr- hired hitmen protecting somebody or bodyguards fending off an attacker versus when you see the just general population turning on each other and ripping each other to shreds you know, we see that in the church, then we see it on a larger scale later on. And there's something, you know, a little bit more shocking when it, you see, you know, ordinary people of, of all ages turning on each other very violently versus, you know, large, you know, nameless European gents, you know, going after their guns, which we see, you know, across every single spy movie ever made. Very rarely do we see just, you know, typical people on the street, you know, going after each other with such... You know, aggression and violence. Uh, but so I, I agree. I, you know, I understand that, you know, the, this is going to be violent. There's going to be severed limbs. There's going to be blood. But I think that's where he ups the stakes to. You haven't seen this before. Uh, and it's, again, it's, to Pete's point, you, there's often the threat from the villain. But we, very rarely do we see the, well, let's do like the test study case to see if this thing really works. Uh, and we're going to use our, one of our heroes, one of our professed heroes to execute the it. weapon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's when the movie, I mean, the Freebird sequence was when the movie became, for me, like, so thrilling. Because I don't know, because I was upset by it. And I'm upset when we talk about it like this. But during the movie, I was so thrilled. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so that's when it became like, this seems like one of the weirdest, riskiest mainstream movies Mm -hmm. in a long time. Can you imagine the amount of studio notes he must have ignored? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Can you? I mean, from the fact that it's a hard, hard R starring a kid, like it's it's so. This is the exact opposite of Jupiter Ascending. 
<laughs> where it's like everyone just sort of being like, okay, we're going to knuckle down and let's just go for it. And this one is a success and Jupiter Ascending is such a disaster. <laughs> um, sorry, I just have to bring up Jupiter Ascending every 20 minutes. All right, uh, good. Because I saw it. It's almost, it's almost a sponsorship break. Yeah. <laughs> so do you... So, <laughs> so, do you so the other sequence that I found interesting, and again, this is where, again, we're sort of playing with the conventions of the genre and putting a twist on them, is when we're, we're in the villain's sort of lair. You know, his underground, well, in the side of the mountain fortress, and Eggsy is in there to, you know, execute his mission. And, you know, we think he's he's done for, um, you know, because he's being chased by all these guys in white. And I'm looking at the cell block where, like, the princess is kept. And I'm like, there is so much Star Wars going on right now because you've got stormtroopers chasing huh. the guy. He's yeah. like, are, are you a princess? You know, she's. The, I was just almost waiting for, aren't you a little short to be a spy? Uh, but it did, it, but it didn't, you know, I could, it's again that I'm familiar with that. I see that there's those shades of that there, but it didn't move across into over the top, cheesy, corny. I was like, oh, you're playing with that something familiar again. And I thought it was just handled very well, executed well to the point where you, you may not, you know, notice it upon first viewing but i think just the some of the shots you know down the long hallway the cells on the side it, it just really just rang to me of like he's, he's hearkening back to star wars and the the young hero on his quest going into the heart of you know the villains you know fortress that's going to destroy everything uh but again i'm you like said early on there's a drop with mark hamill so he yes. goes with that yeah, world. you're already there. Yeah. You're already mm-hmm. there. But again, I thought, how how is he pulling this off? Where I'm still so excited and thrilled and not cynical about this because it it could cross over into that so easily when you touch on things as as sacred as Star Wars. But to be able to do it in that way that again just brings so much. I want to say joy in watching this film. That yes, there's horrible amounts of violence, but it is so much fun to see these characters in this world yeah you I know what a lot of gets what it helps him i'm sorry i feel like i'm interrupting I no not at all not at all go ahead Tom. um but what gets maybe gets him a lot of that leeway being matthew vaughn is the casting was phenomenal that's if true you really believe your characters and you're you're yeah. okay there's a lot of actors you wouldn't be okay slaying through a church filled with people. But Colin Firth, <laughs> you can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy, uh, Taron Egston, or Shaft's breed, I don't know what his name is. Taron, is it Taron? Ed- I, I think it's Taron Edgerton yeah. Shaft's breed. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, he's phenomenal. Like, that kid is a yeah. star. Yeah. I oh, thought. Yeah. I thought he was so great. And so that's a big help, too. That's well, true. and I think it was, it was an interesting... Uh, split but in the film also where you have essentially kind of a, a James Bond-esque type of story with, with the Kingsman, Colin Firth, uh, you know, Merlin and G- Galahad and all these guys. Michael Caine. Uh, yeah, on their mission. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> they're, they're performing their mission. But then you also have this second story of this training of this new recruit, kind of the origin story, really. So you, you, it's like you've got the general, the, the typical spy movie that we've all seen. You also have the typical origin story that we've all seen. Mm-hmm. But it's blended together in a way where we're introduced to this spy world, but we have a character that we can kind of, you know, we're, we are 
this young kid. (laughs) Yeah, Eggsy is kind of us, and we are uh, getting thrust into this world and seeing it through his eyes, through these fresh eyes that, uh, you know, I really bought into. And it, you know, it, I, it was just an interesting blend of those two types of stories that we've seen so often that worked really well, and it made the story a little more interesting for my uh, for my taste that I got to actually see both of those blended into one. You know, I, I'm so glad you said that. I had the exact same thought. This the the power of uh, parallel versus sequential storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. This this the the comparison between this and the other kind of YA properties from the Hunger Games to the God, particularly Divergent Insurgent, where you where you get through this, you you have to go through the linear process uh, without right. getting the benefit. I mean, the benefit of seeing the story really play out. I think it makes this story so much more rewarding because we get it. We, it it's like action storytelling in a microwave. You know, we get everything. We get the indoctrination <laughs> piece of it, but we also get the real, the sort of more hard hitting intrigue of the the a story right. play out at the same time i thought that was really really well done well they they do so much and because of understanding storytelling with things that we don't need to see because when eggsy's in there you know sort of the assault on trying to get to valentine and he's taken and he's you know all these troops are after him and he's flipping and turning and doing all the things we've seen you know colin firth do earlier the umbrella we don't need to see the training sequences where he learns how to do those things because we know, you know, we've got these trials that he's going through. We don't need to see every single component of the training because we know, because we see Galahad, what the end outcome of that training will be. And since Eggsy is now at that point, we know he's capable of these things. It's not like, yes, we know he was in the military. He's a smart kid. But, you know, being able to flip, turn, bend and shoot, you know, three guys at the same time. And, you know, we didn't need to see him develop those skills. And I think that brought that economy and storytelling gave them so much room to, to balance that out. So it is that. That's a good point. That's really both, smart. Both, yeah. yeah. Both sides of the story, because we, we know where the training comes leads to. We know what that person's like, and we can get, you know, that, that sort of parallel storytelling. I'm hoping we get more of that because it, as, yeah. as storytellers, you know, you know, like the as you point out, Pete. You know these YA properties that so many of them are starting to look similar. Well, why do we need to see those things if we've seen the Maze Runner and Hunger Games and Divergent, and they keep showing us the same things, the same types of things? Then that becomes part of our common vocabulary, and the storytellers we can skip over that because we know our audience understands those components. Let us get on to 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 the bigger story. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I, I think this was um, this was a real triumph there. Can we can we talk just a little bit about the uh, cinematography and and some of the editing choices? Because if there was one area of weakness for me, this was it. Uh, mm. and, and it's only in the action sequences. Mm. Anybody guess why? Nothing. Uh. Nobody else was bugged by this. Yeah. No, I totally was. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you well, no, know, I, have, I have options, but well, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, this is a film that's on premise is so staid and classy, and and is generally shot really very cleanly. The cinematography by George Richmond, and I think it, um, it you know, what we, I, I can't help but compare this to, um, oh goodness, what's our other favorite movie uh, with the bathroom fight, Andy? Uh, uh, Cor- Cornetto's Cornetto Three. What was oh, it? Uh, oh, at the world's, end. Of, world's End. At the end Jack, of the universe. Jack right. Ryan and Shadow's Monster. So, 
There was a bathroom fight in there. There, oh, there, right, was. there was. This was this was a better one. One of the things I really liked so much about that bathroom fight was it was frenetic. It was just a lot of arms and limbs, but the way they shot it, uh, I, I think it was very clear. I mean, I never lost my place in in the action, and I think um, you know when we're introduced to uh, Hart and his fighting style in the beginning, the film is sped up so much that it gives you, even if it wasn't intending to do so, it was this god awful sort of shaky cam variant that uh, I found myself just getting dizzy and lost in where I wanted to see some of these wonderful setups, these wonderful uh, executions of action fighting that I felt like was just lost in their their in their decision to to kind of execute the film this way in these sequences. Did there was nobody bugged by this? In all of the in certain sequences or it all was the just the uh, it was just the action those uh, the two that that really stand out to me were the the opening sequence in the uh, in the bar right. manners manners maketh the man and in the church uh the church felt a little bit different to me just because it's sort of otherworldly by the time the you know the the music is going and the uh you know and the we we know that the and even the film stock seems to get blanched right like it visually takes a whole different look right yeah. because we yeah. know the technology is taking us to another world right the right. sound is changing the world so i i give that a little bit of a pass visually it was just as difficult to to for me to kind of wrap my head around i i wanted mm. i wanted a little bit more distance i wanted a little bit more I, maybe it's a conservative um, approach to what was going on. Let the stunts, let the let the grotesquerie kind of stand stand on its own. I, I kept find find myself uh, saying, "I will always so, always want that." But this, I, I guess, it's so much worse in other films that in this one, I gave it a pass. Is it is it more just because like this? I mean, in a way, you know, the man behind Kick Ass, it felt very Kick Ass. And Kick-Ass was a much more kind of crass, you know, rough and tumble superhero sort of thing. This was classy British spies, so it should have had a little more classy feel to the the fighting. Is that what you're? you're yeah, I, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair way to to kind of reflect that. I um, I do. I feel like the setup of the film was was such that the payoff in these action sequences was a distraction. What personally made the difference for me, and I can just say it really quick and then I'll stop talking, is that while there was shaky cam sped up stuff, especially in the church I'm talking about, there were, and I know that I believe Steve or Andy or Pete or I said this before, (laughs) um, was that it made it seem so flowing into each other and almost like uh, one long take. But there were, while there was shaky cam and whip pans left and right, there were really long takes for an action sequence. Right, right. So that, for me, made up the difference, where if you're not cutting it to shreds, then I still got the idea of where is this person or this person. That made enough of a difference for me at the end. Okay, I can see see that. For me, and I I know that this happens later on with Eggsy when he's fighting, and I I can't remember. I have to go back and look again, because I, I think it may happen in the church fight scene. There are times that I recall, and I don't think it happens in the bar fight, where the camera goes into character first-person point of view. Because I recall it with Eggsy, like, running down the hallway, you know, turning, shooting guys. But yeah. I, I thought it may have happened a couple times in the church as well, where, because yeah. we do, we're in there, and then we cut to Eggsy viewing what's going on on the laptop. That's Doom um, Cam. You know, so... But, yeah, huh? and it, see, I wasn't it the only one that saw that? <laughs> That's incredible. But to, to me, it didn't... It, 
didn't bother me because I think the, the dichotomy that you know Andy's talking about is one of the thrilling things of being the, 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 the Kingsman of we can have on the surface level. We are these refined gentlemen and we do have manners, but when pushed and, and we become that instrument that is necessary to solve the problem. And it can be a, a very brutal killing machine. And I think that's you know, sort of the same thing we got, we've gotten with Daniel Craig's James Bond is not just the gentleman, but the brute underneath and I, I i like that dichotomy that balance so that he can he can just decimate that gang of guys and then sit down i'm gonna finish my guinness and i've got mm. my manners because that's what's appropriate in society but when i have to deal with people that don't understand those things i will become something else as necessary okay you're swaying me i i can't help but come back to this idea that when you make such a beautiful ballet of violence you actually want people to be able to see it and uh, that's the that's the part that gets back to me. And how much the role of of your choices of you know in this case film speed because I think you're mm-hmm. right. I think editing you know uh, was really generally very conservative, particularly in that sequence. I mean, it's practically kind of Birdmanian, you know, where it just feels like you say it's just one long take, even though you know they're using trickery to to feel to make it feel otherwise. Uh, the the sense of just film speed, the role that that plays in in uh, the narrative execution, I think, is is worth note. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Oh, no, I, I think it's something that uh, I will definitely note in, on viewing a second time, uh, pay attention to. Because I, I think, you know, there, there, you can get in that fallacy of if I want my, if I want my audience, if I've got something that's very confusing and chaotic going on, I'm going to have my filmmaking be confusing and chaotic. And that doesn't work. And that's, that's just a fallacy of, well, I'm trying to convey that emotion or that scent in my viewers because that's what my character is going through. But it, it becomes a barrier. And I think that's sort of where you're on the edge of Pete of it. it I know the character is going, there's a lot going on and it can be disorienting, but I as an audience member shouldn't because I should always be able to understand what's going on and, and, and why and, and where things are coming from. So I, I look forward to a second viewing to sort of see where, where things lie on that spectrum. Well, and I, I should add, there is probably a practical um, consideration too, which is, you know, how thuggish do our characters really look pulling off yes. this kind of stuff? When mm-hmm. yeah. when played at you know even a quarter of the speed that we were right yeah that's really yeah. difficult <laughs> yeah 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 so all right uh, production design just a little bit I know we've already dabbled in this area mm-hmm. but oh my goodness it, it. To, to me it you know it it just shines a spotlight on the brilliance and balance that is this film when we can when I really never felt like I wasn't getting enough. Of the hidden rooms, uh, the set design, the gadgets, the clothes. I mean, everything worked so well together. It wasn't a film where I walked out saying, gosh, I wish they would have given me more suh. You know, what? Anything. There was never a a moment where I didn't feel like I wasn't being well taken care of. And I think so much of it uh, goes to the, you know, to the brilliant work of, you know, Paul Kirby and uh, production designer and and, uh, the team. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just magic. You want to spend more time in that world. And Ariane Phillips in the costumes, too. I mean, yeah, we've already talked about them, but all of that works together so well to kind of create this brilliant and, and just impeccable world. But do you think that, like, Matthew Vaughn is either, I know I'm giving too much credit to just the director, but, like, do you think he's a genius 
all of a sudden, or he kind of also got lucky. <laughs> just what do you mean? Bit. I don't know. Like this is just such a fully formed world and style and sensibility while being gutsy, while being insane, while always being on the edge of falling apart. And yet it never did for us. Well, he had the source material, so at least he already had the world created, even though as... as but Steve, Steve was saying out, that a lot of that world, it seems like he took the best parts well, and then it, you know, helped invent even better right. parts. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying, is he had a, a kind of the source material created, and then from that, he and then, uh, you know, was it Jane Goldman, I think was the, uh, the co-writer on this, were able to uh, work together to kind of you know, expand on it and make something more out of it. And uh, I think they just moved in all the right directions. I don't know if I'd say that uh, either he or Jane are a genius, but uh, they both certainly have been involved in some some uh, pretty strong projects. And, sure. and, and very very creative projects. I mean, Stardust is, is a very creative pr- yeah. property. Kick-Ass, uh, the X-Men stories, all of these things are are big types of things that uh, that have a lot of interesting world-building that I, I think that they've generally succeeded at doing. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, Tom, I think if if you haven't seen Stardust in a while, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago with with my kids because it is a, a wonderfully magic film. But looking at again, if you're talking about genius and being able to balance things. Stardust, you know, earlier in his career, the whole sequence with Robert De Niro with the uh, Lightning the Pirates and the dress, and to have Robert have Robert De Niro be able to pull off that role and for that to fit into the story and for it to not come off, again, as going too far, it seems to me he's always got that ability to push enough to go, wow, this is really interesting, but not so far that it comes off the rails, and I think he was able to demonstrate that even that far back in his career on his, what is that, his second film after, after Layer Cake? So I think it is something that's, I want to say he's sort of characteristic of his style. If I'm going to push things enough, but not so far that I, I derail what I'm trying to get done and that it becomes a distraction or and it's undermined great. story. And I didn't mean to make it sound like I was trying to S-word on um, Matthew Vaughn at all. I was just wondering oh, no. seeing the a burgeoning, like when everything comes, like I love Edgar Wright films. And right. Scott, I th- Scott Pilgrim versus the World was my favorite movie of that year i think it's a nearly perfect movie so it's just kind of like seeing every all worlds collide in such a risky kind of way yeah i mean i i love i'm not as big a fan of kick-ass as you guys are i I think but everything else has always have been films that i watch and go wow this is masterful i've really enjoyed this it's reinventing something it's doing something new i mean you look at why do we have a new x why is x-men where it is now and i think it's x-men first class and what sort of relaunching that that component of that franchise did it reinvigorated something that i think everyone had given hope given up hope on absolutely agree Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Last comment on effects, uh, and and again, here is another example of beautiful contrast to go from the violence in the church, followed up by the, dare I say, operatic performance of the exploding heads. <laughs> yep. That that was uh, operatic and neon and neon. I yes. mean, it was like it was oh. it was going from this visceral reality of incredible gore, like human on human gore, to this right. like artfully choreographed little mushroom clouds of purple and green <laughs> and beauty that that you would just like. Of course, you would never associate with what would actually happen, but it was perfection for me. I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> yeah. perfection. I would have. Can I say my? 
thoughts about that real quick? Yeah. Um, my, I don't know why I keep asking permission. I don't, I don't either. Weird. You've been on this show for like <laughs> three years. Is this my first Tom. podcast? Yeah, hey, guys. Right? <laughs> long time listener, long time <laughs> contributor. Um, no, I originally, when that started happening, my first thought was, oh, well, of course, because if it was too many heads exploding, because right. we, we kind of saw the aftermath of Mark Hamill's head exploding, and it didn't seem to be a big color of light, like right. a mushroom cloud of light. Right, right. Then, of course, that would push it to maybe that the ratings board would be too mad about that. But, of course, that's what Matthew Vaughn wanted. Until I remembered that in this insane film that's always teetering around the edge, he does have restraint in that you find out they're not really going to have you kill a dog. And they didn't kill one of their applicants in the first one. And they take right. time to explain to you, like, that's, that's where it just becomes, again, I'm going to say almost <laughs> genius. Because I wouldn't, the Matthew Vaughn that uh, directs most of this movie, of course, would say kill a dog. Of course. Right. Because it's such a raw, brutal world. But then, you know, the Kingsman, no, we're not crazy. <laughs> It is, but it's it's one of the ways that he he is able to both set up the rules of the world and know exactly when it's okay to break those rules. I think not killing the dog, of course they're not going to kill the dog, because that would break a fundamental tenet of our protagonists. But that was excruciating. Yes. That slow zoom in, the Mickey Rooney's on the gun and the dog and the gun and the dog, that went on for a laughably long time. I started hiding my face because I didn't know if I could trust him. I was thinking about you, actually, because I was thinking about your ape-on-ape violence problem. Right. (laughs) I couldn't, like, I started turning turning away because I realized, like, they would never do this. And then reflecting on the movie that I would saw, I was like, he might. Yeah, but then think of it this way. Then you just reflect on the the slow zoom in on the dog now that you know how it ends up. Even the dog knew it wasn't going to be shot. <laughs> right. It's yeah, it's That was like clear-eyed confidence. Like, go ahead, pull the trigger. We both know. Oh, maybe you don't know. All right, whatever. It'll play out. <laughs> but that was so I mean, that made me reappreciate. Sorry to get to the end of my long point. That made me reappreciate the idea that I bet that that head exploding was a true choice. Oh, I had to be a choice. Yeah. It was yeah. it was such a tentpole moment in the film. Uh, it, it would have been so different. And following up that sequence with the fight on the on the uh, on the main floor between Gazelle and Exy, yeah. uh, that was a, a wonderful kind of finale to that piece of violence. Well, and of course, then the, the death of Valentine, the the <laughs> the, the foot through yeah. the heart. Right. Uh, so to speak, um, I, it was just a wonderful and and much more grisly in the case yeah. of Valentine when he sees his own blood and projectile vomits. <laughs> that was maybe the most disgusting part of the film. Yeah, uh, for I think a lot of people who have a harder time with vomit than they do blood. Um, so I, it was just a, I, I think a really uh, <laughs> touching moment. Uh, anyway, I, I really loved the uh, loved that the choices of the the sort of orchestral explosions of heads. I thought that was yes. really beautifully done in okay. the context of this film. All okay. right, okay. other things that stand out for you guys as we uh, as we bring the ship around. Did anything in the movie cross the line for you guys? One got really close for me. Just one. What was that? Uh, well, one was the fact that they didn't know that we knew that uh, Eggsy switched the glasses when he's with Michael Caine. 
I don't know. I just I assumed that we knew that he did that, and then the movie yeah. it turns out that that's a big like oh surprise. But that's fine. Who cares? That's not it. it did was, anybody? It, let me just ask though. Did anybody? Uh, we did. We all knew. Tell me, right? We all knew yes. that they switched the glasses. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was such a yeah. Like telegraphed. A, like, like a broad camera move of hey, what's one of those? And then like the other right. down. And now let me was, explain sleight of hand. That was right. the only part. It was a little disappointing of like oh I'm ahead of the film and I've never been ahead of the film ever. Okay, uh, so, so what was, was a, your real one? Uh, the chop, the mother, Eggsy's mother chopping down oh. the door with the little girl inside crying. Uh, that, for me, felt too exploitative into uh, just a little bit too gross. Whenever they went back, because they had so many things that were like, the clock is ticking, everything is going crazy. I understand the need to sort of make it personalized and real, but that was the one time when I felt like, all right, Matthew Vaughn, you're... I, you're getting a little bit much for me. I don't know, Tommy. I don't think you could play that out any differently, and, and for a couple yeah. of reasons. Number one, uh, we have so many uh, examples of Eggsy looking out for mom, right? right? Whether it's mm-hmm. fighting the bullies, whether it's whatever, it's always how much he loves his little his sister, and he's protecting his mom, right? And so that final act of protection, where if if he hadn't said, Roxy, you got to call my mom and and have her put the baby in another room, we would constantly be wondering, because we know she got one of these SIM cards, we would constantly be wondering, what is mom going to do when she when this turns on? Yeah. We, have to, we have to have gone down that road, and I, for me, that, that I, didn't have, uh, I didn't have a problem with it. That one felt, uh, felt pretty good. I needed to see that resolved, although I will say, at the end, when she's holding the baby and she's saying, Mommy would never hurt you, Mommy would never hurt you, except for that one time where I just, you know, went Jack Torrance on you and, and tried to get <laughs> I, through the I, door. The theater was laughing when it did that slow uh, crawl back through the thing and the daughter's sort of, like, looking yeah. at the whole movie. Yeah. Our theater were, like, laughing, not in a bad way, but just sort of like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm broken forever. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anybody else have any moments that went too far? I don't think so, but uh, you know, I, I thought that the moments with the princess were uh, a little bit of a surprise, and it, it it actually made me laugh quite a bit. The the whole uh, the is is an interesting way to play kind of the the typical ending of a James Bond movie. Uh, but put it their own little uh, sick twist on it. Is I it, guess. Yeah, I was going to say, is yeah. that playing the, with the end of a James or just slapping it in the face? I think it's slapping right. it in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Uh, do we have any final points, or shall we uh, uh, do our quick round the horn and rank it? Uh, Tommy already said it, but I just uh, wanted to again point out how wonderful I thought that uh, Taron Egerton was. I thought he was just great in this role. He was he was edgy. He was perfect as the rough kid who uh, was very street smart. Uh, but when he dressed up in his suit, he also was perfect in that role. I thought he played that both sides of that very well. And I uh, like Tommy said, this is a you know a star in the making right here. He was just so strong in the role of of our young Eggsy. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Uh Steve, final Steve points. hated him apparently. Yeah you hated what? him. <laughs> what do you got against Eggsy, Steve? I've got nothing against Eggsy. Like I said, I think this is this is a this is a fun film that is going to reward you the first time. And I said, as I said, I think there's a lot of things going on worth exploring in terms of themes and Arthurian legends that are going to be rewarding upon multiple viewings. And it's it's one I'm I'm looking forward to to revisit again and again. I think 
this film I'm hoping is is you know the where we continue to see more great films from Matthew Vaughn that he's really come into his own and and will will be granted I don't know permission or license to really you know continue to flourish as a filmmaker. Yeah, my guess is that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which very uh, predictably took over the uh, what you call it box office, yeah, when that falls off a cliff. This one is just going to stay around for a while because I can't imagine that the word of mouth will not be through the roof on this. Exactly. Yeah. I hope so. I really have this sense that this is a keys to the kingdom kind of a film for Matthew Vaughn and, and also I think for, for uh, uh, young Eggsy. Uh, this was a. I, I really enjoyed this. And, and, you know, what a fantastic Valentine's movie. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I it's it's one that it absolutely took me by surprise. It is not a send up. It is not a lampoon. It is horrifically violent and filthy of mouth, but really, really, really well done. Oh, that should be a blurb for it. That was wonderful. <laughs> uh, shall we rank I, it? Oh, Andy, oh, do you have more? Yes. Well, Andy? I didn't say any my last thoughts. Oh, I thought that was your last thoughts about. I was the, talking about you. You said anything before our last thoughts? I was talking about Exy. I'm sorry. This is on me. This is totally on me. Wow. I own this, Andy. I'm sorry. What can I do? No, I I just wanted to say this was a um, and I'll be I'll be quick in the words of Tommy. You you take your time. (laughs) My wife, I asked her before the movie. This was our little Valentine's date movie. (laughs) I I asked her and she hates spy movies. Uh, Well, she likes the Jason Bourne films, but James Bond types of movies. She just abhors them. Um, I, so I sat down and I said, so what do you think? Are you going to gonna love it or are you going to hate it? She's like, oh, I have, I'm going to hate it. I have, no expecta- I have zero expectation. There's nothing in this that I think I'm going to like. And I just am not looking forward to this at all. I'm only here, as she said, to, to be on mole watch. Because she, <laughs> from the trailer, she noticed how often uh, Eggsy's mole on his neck seemed to appear and disappear. So that's all she wanted to pay attention to is his mole. That's diabolical. Like, okay. I know. I know. It's so weird. So but uh, so I said after the movie, I'm like, okay. So did you hate it? And she's like, no, I loved it. I couldn't believe how much I loved this movie. Uh, and I think that's uh, the this is the thing that this film will kind of put people in a place where they're really going to end up enjoying it. Yes, you've got to get through all the the uh, the potty mouth language and the intense violence. But once you get all through that, I think this is a film that creates this amazing world that is just so much fun. Uh, yet also uh, takes the spy thriller very seriously, and it works on all levels. So I absolutely enjoyed it. I'm glad we here, came back here. around to that, Andy. That was that was good. That was worth it. <laughs> well, thank you. Let's rank it. Things, men, they will save our world from lots of evil things. And in that one scene, Eggsy needed water wings. Men, it is time for us to do our part. And with our heart, let's rank this art. No more ado, film board, kickstart, flick chart. <laughs> Tommy, you must have really loved this one. I did. <laughs> That was Excellent. really well done. And, and you know, I should, I should add, uh, Tommy, this is just for you because, uh, you know, we had we did our little interview, if you haven't heard the show yet, we did our listener's choice, uh, Delicatessen. And one of the bits that was cut out of, uh, of that interview that we did with our listener who won the Pony Prize, Cameron Ryan. Oh, yeah, who I sent all the movies to. You sent all the movies to. And she, yeah. if you haven't listened to that, you should because she reads all of your work uh, on the show. But one of the things that she f- felt important to express was that she was... Uh, she was disappointed 
that and oh. that there was no uh, Tommy Handsome song uh, as part of the Pony Prize. Win. <laughs> oh, that so prize? you just just need to know that your work is deeply appreciated, much uh, much beyond the uh, the bounds of our of our call. We're not just shouting into a tunnel. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful to hear. I would just always assume that Cameron was you in, the, in, the, in a wig. <laughs> that's very sweet, Cameron. If you're listening, one love. All right, uh, head over to flickchart.com/tnrfilmboard, and you can see how we've ranked the last. What are we? 30, 31? Is 30. That we this is well, this, this will is be thirty-one. 30? This is thirty-one. Uh, how we rank the uh, the thirty-one, and w- oh man. I'm excited to see where this one lands. What do we think? Yeah. Is it going to break the top ten? Please tell me it's going to break the top. We have some crappy movies on to. this list. I think it'll. I, I'm hoping it'll break the top five. We'll All see. right, let's do it with a bullet. Kingsman: The Secret Service or Divergent? Kingsman. <laughs> Kingsman. Kingsman. Definitely Kingsman. Kingsman or Looper? Uh, getting tough already. No Kingsman. Ooh. No Kingsman. Oh wow. Okay. Um, I'll see. I'll do Kingsman. Okay, then I'm irrelevant. Then I don't have to mention. Good. <laughs> You're welcome, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> we still like your opinion. <laughs> um, well, as far as immediate watchability, Kingsman. So, yes, Kingsman for me. All right, Kingsman or Fury. I know you guys loved that, but I would say Kingsman. Kingsman. Yeah, my Fury stuff has changed, by the way. Oh. A little bit. It's not a little, just it's sort of been downgraded. Just it's because be- you saw American Sniper. Yeah, no, it's because I it's because I said Jupiter ascended. There's a space tank. Three minutes. There was, folks. Yeah. Space tank. Every every. Oh my God! You had me at space tank. Okay. <laughs> All right. So those Kingsmen. Yes. Uh, Kingsmen or Edge of Tomorrow. Oh. Oh snap! Oh. Edge of Tomorrow. The edge of Tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow, edge of tomorrow. <laughs> well, wait, are we ranking the films or are we ranking Tommy's songs? Because I know, but that's what I guess. I think in both cases, I got to go Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. Excellent. All right, Kingsman or Guardians of the Galaxy? <gasps> Kingsman, Kingsman, Kingsman. So oh. buy boat calcs for three. <laughs> Tough one for uh, you guys. I, I think. Okay, I, 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 I will explain my vote on this one. And and Pete, oh, God. listen carefully. Weirdly, it's going to be now you see because me. Because my, my <laughs> vote is all because of you. All right. This oh. burden of this falls okay. on your shoulders, Mr. Okay. Wright. Okay. I am going to vote Kingsman because of, as you so brought clearly brought to our attention, of balancing the origin story and you know the the spy story of the intricacies of keeping those plots going and working that magic whereas with guardians although it is fun it there is really not a lot of plot per se so based on that i am going kingsman wow man steve you just explained me to me so well that i'm also going to go to kingsman is that like listening to a mirror The I, I think you changed my vote on that too. So let's like Kingsman. Wow, look at that! Wow. Number three Steve. out of thirty-one. Uh, wow, Huzzah. nice. That's wonderful. What's one and two? Uh, well, Gravity tomorrow. One Edge of Tomorrow is number two. Fair enough. I'm happy with that. Me yeah. too. That Long feels great. Hobbit is in the cellar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That person that wrote in, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well done, Uh-oh. gents. I feel like this was a triumph. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was a great film. And we didn't even say, I thought Gazelle was better than most of the Bond villain uh, oh, sidekicks. Oh, the Bond yeah. girls? Yeah, yeah. sidekicks. Nice. <laughs> nice. She was great. And the fact that she had metal blade legs, like, it was just fun. Yeah, yeah. that was oh, great. That was To just sort of make that work and not be like, roll your eyes and crazy. Like, what? I just bought it. Well, and think yeah. about this. One of the best Bond villains was Oddjob, who had razor blade top right. hat. Right, and right, they yeah. just took the razor blades and put them on this woman's feet. Yeah, another, feet. another contrast. Head, yeah. feet, Head right? Head, feet. Oh, so layers. Layer <laughs> so cake. many layers. And I, we, I, we never said this out loud, but Mark Hamill plays, plays a pretty good uh, British professor. Yes, he does. All right, I uh, I'm done. Do we have a movie pick for next time? Have we already done this? Can we let the people know what we're doing? No, because I thought we do. Do we have one? I don't think so. Yeah, I thought we were doing the the the. I thought we talked about the Thor killing the whale thing, but that got moved to like December, didn't it? Oh, now it's. Thor, didn't we? Thor, killing the way you did with the Ron Howard. Uh, yeah, the Ron oh, Howard, whatever. Yeah. Or whatever? Okay. Well, yeah. Unless we've changed our plan, I, I thought we were, uh, you know, maybe uh, painfully, but continuing the uh, Divergent oh. theory. That's next month. Oh, God. <laughs> with every trailer for this movie, to. I get more I disappointed. Know, yeah. no. if, we don't, if we don't have to, I'm happy to do yeah. something else. Yeah, we I think there's better else. options out there. Please tell me there's better options. If it, if it wasn't so close, I would say Chappie, but that's like in two weeks. No, no, no. Rather than do Insurgent, let's just go back and do the interview. I would rather do that. Mm. No, see, I would. <laughs> or Jupiter Ascending. Wait, will that get a laugh? Oh, my gosh. I can, oh. I can tell you the entire fuck. Hey, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we sure appreciate you listening and downloading. And, uh, you know, find us. Find us. uh, You know where to go. Thenextreel.com. Find us on the street. (laughs) We're out of here. Find us on the street. I refuse to let you get a clean edit point. Find us on the street. Hey, everybody, do you want to know Pete's phone number? Hold on. I'm going to work on it real quick. Go ahead. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denny Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. 
For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. 